Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. There's always one. There was Red Hill Creek or there was the stadium or there was LRT. Still is LRT, I suppose. Uh, this council, it's encampments. This, it's, this seems to be the... The issue that is tying council up in knots and tying the city up in knots, quite honestly. And now council has put forward a survey of sorts. It's not a very long one, but it's a survey of sorts asking you for your opinion on what should happen with encampments and protocols. Things like, are you in favor of sanctioned encampment sites? Um, if the city was to allow for sanctioned encampment sites, what things would you like to see the, uh, the city prioritize when, uh, when implementing this approach? Um, things like that. Uh, John Paul Danko is the councillor for Ward 8. He has spoken about this issue many times on council and here on the show. Uh, joins us now. Councillor, how are you today? I'm good, Scott. This, uh, some people may say, and I'm sure you've probably already heard this, some people may say this is council copping out, trying to pass the buck and get the citizens to come up with an answer that councillors should be coming up with. Is that a reasonable comment? I think in your introduction, you laid out the issue before us uh, pretty well, that homelessness, addictions, and mental health issues are skyrocketing in our community. And in particular, just coming out of the COVID pandemic, the housing affordability is so out of reach for the average Hamiltonian, whether it's ownership or, or rental, that it's compounded all these other issues. And I think um, council is taking uh, definitive steps to address housing affordability, homelessness, uh, addictions, and mental health. We're spending uh, just over $70 million this year on programs to support homelessness and uh, housing. And you know, we're, we're adding hundreds of new spaces uh, to supportive housing. We have all kinds of programs. We're spending hundreds of staff hours um, every day on this issue. But the reality is that uh, those factors are, are in a crisis in our, in our city. And we uh, have an obligation to residents to come up with um, better solutions that are there now. The, the fact is that encampments and homelessness exist in our communities. And uh, we need to find out, uh, you know, what residents think are the best ways to deal with those, uh, those problems. I will um, point out, and there's a reason why, as I read this, so let me just read a line from the city's survey that's out. In 2023, the Ontario Su- Superior Court of Justice ruled that municipalities need to have places for people experiencing homelessness to go, such as shelters or other housing solutions before asking individuals to leave encampments. So that's positioning why, I assume, on this survey, there is no uh, box to check to say, uh, I, I'm okay with encampments, I support sanctioned encampments, or I don't want encampments. The third one is not there. I'm assuming that's the reason it's not there. I think there's some complexities to the interpretation of that legal ruling. Um, my understanding is that was specific to a city parking lot, not city parks. Um, so there, there are different uh, ways of interpreting that. And, and I think, um, you know, the, in the survey, we're asking residents uh, for their opinion on two separate issues. Number one, do you support or favor uh, a sanctioned encampment program? That would be 20 to 50 tents somewhere on a city property. They might include supports such as toilets or water. Uh, it would include security and uh, social services. 
And if you were okay with that, where would that go? Where do you think would be an appropriate location uh, for 20 to 50 tents? And it would have to be somewhere on city property. Um, And then the second part of that is on the encampment protocol, which is a little bit different but related. And that's kind of the when somebody shows up in a park, um, sets up a tent, should we allow people to camp overnight in an, uh, in a tent in a park or city property up to five tents with some controls in place? And we want to know from residents what those controls would be. What is you know for issues such as drug use and needles mm-hmm. or illegal activity or uh, aggressive and violent behavior? Um, you know what 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 would be appropriate if we were to allow that? So those are the two things that we want to hear from residents. And I, I think, you know, to your question, could we just say no? I, I think that is uh, an option that residents are certainly going to articulate. Um, but if that is the answer, then, um, you know, we, we need other solutions. We, because, again, the reality is, is that homelessness and mental health and addictions exist and encampments are going to continue to exist. And, and the nuance and the difficulty of this is that here's what I expect is probably going to happen now because people don't have an option to say, I am not in favor of encampments, period. People are going to vote. But if you can't answer that, but that's your feeling, you may not fill out the survey. So this is then going to come back to city council and someone is going to say, look, the majority of the people in the city support sanctioned encampments, even though the majority probably would have checked a third box if they'd had that opportunity on this thing. So it's going to create, I think, I believe, I expect it's going to create this sort of false narrative when this thing comes in front of council about what people really want? Uh, Well, the the survey, the city survey does have two distinct options. Yes, no, Uh, A or B, uh, you know, uh, black and white. So you could answer yes or no to either of those questions. But, you know, again, the nuance of the conversation is that the cameras are going to continue to exist. Um, We're we're trying to have, uh, you know, more public engagement from the wider public. Uh, the Mountain Wards, uh, Councillors Jackson, Councillor Pauls, Councillor Spadafora, Councillor Chattison, and Councillor Clark and I are hosting a mountain um, engagement session, a, a public town hall on June the 19th uh, from 9 till, sorry, from 7 o'clock until 9 p.m. at the Hill Park, Hill Park Auditorium. And uh, I think that's where we'd like to hear from residents in person and you know, it's it's a bit different from filling out a survey to having that discussion in a public forum in person. And we're hoping to hear from as many residents across the mountain as possible to hear what their experience is in their neighborhood and what their uh, positions are on, on what we should do as a city. One more thing before I let you go, because we are I, we could talk about this for hours, but we're short on time. Um, do you anticipate? I think when people fill out this survey, the other thing, and you've already alluded to it, is what do you think about like where perhaps should encampments go? I find it very hard to believe that many people are going to say, next door to my house, please. It's all going to be somewhere else. And if you have a bunch of people from Ward 8 or whoever else has it from their ward and they all say elsewhere, is that just going to be portrayed then that you have a bunch of uncaring people in Ward 8 or forever, whoever else's counselor says the same thing? Is that the interpretation that's going to come from that? I don't think so. And, and I think we hear that from all across the city. So if everyone across the city is saying, well, you know, I might support this, but I, I definitely don't want it in my neighborhood park, 
it would not be fair for us as a council to then impose that on somebody's neighborhood park. So I think that is a consideration. And this is a citywide issue. This is not an issue that's just affecting one area of the city, not just downtown. It affects all of us and it affects, um, you know, residents and businesses and those that are visiting our city. And we're not the only city dealing with this. This no. is impacting cities across Canada, across North America. No, it is. Uh, it, it is absolutely all over the place. And and I know I, I, I that meeting or those meetings are are going to be fascinating because I have a feeling that uh, there will be a lot of people with a lot to say. There always is on this issue. Uh, Councillor John Paul Danko, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Sitting next to me, a man who probably does, don't give the answer, but do you know the line? Yes. Yes. Lauren King is a professor at Wilfrid Laurier University, but that's not why he's in here. There are a lot of professors. There are very few professors who swim across endlessly long bodies of water. Uh, A few years ago, uh, I met Lauren when he had just swum, swum or swam, the English Channel. I think it's swam, the English Channel, and uh, just last month, Lauren was was back in the water swimming the Cook Strait between the North and South Island of New Zealand. And I got to tell you, Lauren, none of this sounds fun. <laughs> it's uh, amazing the length some of us will go to avoid work. <laughs> it, but is it like, is it, do you find it fun? Because to me, it sounds, honestly, it sounds horrible. Yeah, it's odd. Um, it, when I did the English Channel the last time we spoke, I... I it, it kind of freaked me out a bit because the, the thing that got me across was the thought. I think we mentioned and talked about it nine hours where things got kind of miserable. And I thought, I'm never doing this again. So I'll just finish this you know, and that's it. You We're know, done. No exercise uh, ever, ever again, you know, ever. <laughs> certainly yes. not in the water. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, I think that freaked me out a little bit because honestly, for a few hours, that was what was keeping me going. The thought that, look, this is this is the most ridiculous hobby and you know, take up golf or something. Yeah. Um, is yeah. it miserable though? Is it, it miserable? It's it, it certainly, there are things about some of those swims that, yeah, are really uh, challenging. I mean, there's an old saying among the, especially among the English Channel uh, crowd that, that, you know, like 80% of this is in your head. Now, that other 20% is pretty important, <laughs> but they're not wrong. I mean, it's, it's a mental struggle, right? There, there are a lot of really strong swimmers who I think would probably get in and after a few hours say, this is stupid. Why am I here? Right. Uh, whereas there are a lot of people who, you know, you, you wouldn't look and say, you know, that's an Olympian swimmer, but they're good swimmers. They're strong swimmers and they, their heads in that place where they can just push through what what sometimes is a pretty miserable experience. I mean, there are other ultra sports, obviously. There's ultra running, um, there, there's, you know, whatever. Is this different? It seems different to me. Not, I mean, you do have a crew there, right? You haven't yeah. just set out to cross and you're not going to drown in the middle of the... Yeah. <laughs> but nonetheless, it seems to me vastly different from running the same length of time. Yeah, although... I would say the ultra marathoners are, are sort of our kindred or you know, spirits that, that they are to marathon runs what what we are to even long pool swims. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it is a different exercise. Uh, certainly the, 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 the way we structure it as a team and we have, a, you know, in so many of these, especially these iconic historic swims, a lot of them are in busy shipping lanes. So, you know, we, we need an escort mm-hmm. boat that can protect us from larger craft and that know the waters. 
And, you know, we sort of have someone in a boat, in a smaller boat beside us often throwing us a bottle with food every half hour or so. Uh, you can't be touched. No intentional assistive contact is the, the, okay. the usual rule. But, but you know, as, as a good friend and author um, of, of the book um, uh, Solo But Never Alone always says, right, that that's – that's the point. It's a solo swim, but it's really a team effort. You're you're doing your part in the water, but it would be really difficult to do without that team. There's a, there's a guy from Hamilton. He went to Westmount named Rob Krar, who is a world class ultra marathoner. He's got the world record for in the Grand Canyon, the rim yep. to rim to yeah, rim, rim to rim, and like these things that are just crazy. And when I've talked to him, one of the things he says is it doesn't take long, and he kind of goes into a dark spot inwardly it Mm. what what when you're spending seven in this case seven and a half or Mm. nine hours what are you thinking about because that's all you can do is think right well i'll tell you what what's going to be going through my head next swim is that bloody flintstones (laughs) theme song (laughs) well that's good that's good for nine hours as long as it's not it's a small world that's exactly yeah Yeah. but that's one of the things uh, some people some try to put together a kind of mental playlist of things that they'll right. sort of think about. I, I find I, I don't really succeed when I do that. Sometimes songs do get in my head for hours at a stretch, and I didn't want them there. I didn't mean for them to get there. Um, and at other times, it's a bit more like uh, you just described. Uh, you're just sort of you're there. Just there, right? It's almost meditative. And, you know, that, that can be pleasant, but it can also be challenging, right? It's just staying in that space where you just, because if you start thinking too much, you start thinking about, look, there's a nice warm boat over there. <laughs> yeah. Um, See, it I, would almost be easier, more dangerous for sure, but it would almost be easier if you did this without a team. Yep. Yeah. Because and then you have to finish. You got to finish, There's right? no choice. Yeah. Yeah. There's only yeah. two options. And if you don't finish, <laughs> you don't finish. Yeah. Yeah. It, b- and, but that, uh, that lure, that temptation is right there. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's uh, certainly a challenge just to, to, to deal with that component. Uh, interestingly, in the history of, of swimming and uh, in, spe- specifically in the United Kingdom, uh, uh, there's a great book called uh, The Haunts of the Black Masseur about the, the history of marathon swimming. It's a curious book. But uh, there were these you know, the romantic poets who would do exactly what you described. They would just jump in the ocean and swim. Hmm. unassisted, unaccompanied, and to them, that was sort of the purest form of this kind of reverie, right? I guess. But yeah, uh, the, the, the flip side of that is uh, uh, Matthew Webb, who was the first swimmer across the English Channel. Uh, he's buried on the New York side of Niagara Falls, where he tried this unassisted dive in and swim across the whirlpool. And uh, when they found his body hours later, he yep. hadn't drowned. He had been pummeled by the sheer force of that water. Well, um, you okay, you mentioned that because it seems to me that the English Channel is not exact. I mean, it's a, not a warm mm-hmm. body of water. It's not, it's a shipping lane. All the places that seem to be the popular, well, popular, the popular places for long distance swimmers seem very unforgiving. You don't, you don't hear of the Caribbean swimming. Yeah, yeah. Although there are. Are um, there? Oh, yeah. In fact, uh, the the current uh, record for an unassisted uh, ocean swim, uh, Chloe McCardle, is a, uh, I think it's uh, Grand Exuma in the uh, Caribbean. Uh, it's like a vast ocean swim. Uh, is that because the water is warmer so you can do it longer? I, I think uh, there were different, I, 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 you, I, I, you have to ask her, but I suspect there were different challenges. It was just, it, it's, it's a different kind of challenge being in like warm salt water. Uh, 
it's it's exhausting. It heats up your body dangerously. Mm. The salt content uh, reacts with with uh, you know, your mouth and, and, and your your system. Um, but yeah, it's. Um, it's another sort of challenge. But yeah, of, of these historic swims, I, I agree, a lot of them are these cold, unforgiving places. And uh, and you don't, and, and I was shocked when you told me this the other day, you, you don't wear a wetsuit. We don't wear wetsuits. No, that's uh, that's So cheating. the water <laughs> is like 15 or 16 degrees. How do you not get, I thought of this yesterday or the day before, whenever we talked, and I realized I never followed up with the question, but, and it's in the paper, people can read it today, but how do you not get hypothermia? I mean, to a degree... You kind of do get very mild hypothermia, and in very colder, in much colder waters, you know, you're you're learning to sort of what your body can handle in terms of generating heat from the food you're getting, from the pace you're keeping. Uh, but you know, at the end of the, the end of the day, physics is always going to win, right? Your body is going to lose heat, and it's just a question of delaying that with a series of, of training tactics and 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 you know, physical activity. But uh, I mean, there are extraordinary feats of people who have stayed in that water swimming. I mean, Sarah Thomas, one of the most extraordinary swimmers on the planet, her four-way English Channel crossing in water that was probably in that 16-degree range, that's 57 hours in the water. Yeah, not, like, <laughs> let's not be indelicate here because some of the people who have done very well at long-distance swims who have been very famous around here are larger bodies. Yeah, definitely. You are not a and large body. Yeah. You are not a yeah. heavy person. Yes, I would assume it's colder for me. <laughs> I, I would assume there actually would be an advantage to having some There's extra a, a, weight. There's a great you. advantage to it. In fact, there's a, a, an adage among the English Channel old timers uh, that you can't be too vain to gain. Uh, okay. <laughs> even if you have the kind of physique that we have, you, it matters having what little body. Have you tried? Oh yeah, I, I failed my first Channel attempt. No, but have you tried to put on that kind of weight? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's uh, it's it's uh, you don't get you don't get much sympathy for saying I just can't put on weight, um, but it is. It is true that uh, some of the most accomplished, uh, formidably talented marathon swimmers in the world, yeah, they don't look like Michael Phelps and Katie Ledecky. No, it, like it, Vicky you, Keith, yeah. unbelievably successful, but yeah. when she was swimming, she was she put on yeah she some, was larger enough enough body fat to uh, to fend off these very cold swims. But wouldn't look necessarily like a world class yeah, athlete, yeah. and you see what she does, and you go, well, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Uh, there's a story about a, a, a famous Olympian who. Um, thought he just, you know, because he's a very fast swimmer, was going to swim the English Channel, and, and yeah, and didn't last more than a few hours, and it was, uh, yeah, you, you, train for, you train for your event, and if you're going to spend, you know, 12, 15 hours in 15-degree water, you should look more like the kind of animals that, that swim in that water, right? But uh, you, you, explain how you train to get used to the cold yeah, water. Yeah, so, so uh, I, I, I was part of a group that um, we were helping a, a dear friend um, who's a, a very accomplished swimmer uh, in the area, uh, Madhu Nagaraja. Uh, he was going to swim the Straits of Magellan, which is obscenely cold. It's you're just swimming through the strait that's getting the Antarctic current right through it, right? Lovely. And the conditions are horrendous. Um, and so uh, my, 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 um, my friends and I were, were assisting him. And, uh, and yeah, so we would, we would swim for, you know, 20 to 30 minutes in water that was anywhere from like two degrees. In Lake Ontario. Yeah, in Lake Ontario. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not as if we innovated. It turns out there's been people doing this for a long time. And, uh, yeah, the, this, this idea of winter swimming has, has been around for a while. And 
it's now a little more popular here in the Great Lakes, and we have in the uh, greater you know, Toronto Hamilton area at least I think we have two, three who lived here directly. Some have moved away. Um, ice milers, uh, swimmers who have swum a mile in water that's below five degrees with nothing the no wetsuit, no, no wetsuit, no. just cap goggles and, and nylon suit. And uh, and so I I was involved in that for a while. I, these days I I if it's really like below ten, I tend to just uh, sit for half an hour in the water, just sort of chest to neck deep, and just try to sort of just get your body used to that feeling. And then as the water gets a little warmer, like twelve, then we start doing some longer swims. We're talking to Lauren King, who uh, just finished doing the Cook Strait swimming, the Cook Strait, uh, among others. He's a Hamilton guy, a Wilfrid Laurier professor. But it, at at what point when you start? does the thought first hit you? Because you're doing, as I say, seven hours, eight hours, nine hours. At what point does the thought hit you, this really sucks? Yeah. Um, is it like right away when the water hits or is it two hours or half or? Again, it sort of depends on where your head is at and the swim you're in. I, uh, when I when I did, when I succeeded at the English Channel, uh, I I have to say the first half hour, I, I was like, okay, we'll do another half hour and then I'm getting out, right? Like, really? <laughs> maybe. Why? What was, uh, I don't what was know. So I, I, I think I'd remembered the failed attempt the year before and it didn't feel any warmer. It was a little rougher. And I, I think, yeah, it was just sort of, well, it's, you know. Do you get seasick because of the waves? Some some swimmers do. I don't. I've been pretty lucky. Um, but you do notice certain differences. Uh I had prepared a kind of a vegetable broth. It was going to be a sort of a comfort food type mm-hmm. thing to have every few hours just because uh, I trained with it in the lake. Um, but the first time that bottle was thrown to me and I opened it, I nearly retched. Uh, just the smell and the and that was just the difference of being in salt water. Your body is just sort of having very different reactions, visceral reactions to different smells and tastes. And, uh, and so, yeah, getting used to that takes a bit of a bit of time to sort of find your stride and get your head in that space and uh and if there are little things like that in the first hour or so that makes it even more challenging but yeah you find a way to get in that groove and but if you're describing that and that it often is not the most pleasant i mean it's a lot of work for sure how did you get in this why do you do this yeah, again, uh, it's a great distraction from, from my day job. Um, but yeah, but you could do, you could yeah, play checkers. Yeah, yes, I could you play know, You don't have to swim across no, giant uh, straits. I, 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 um, and I think we talked about this. I, I, I was a, an age group swimmer with the Hamilton one with Aquatic Club. I, I, I wasn't a very disciplined swimmer. I was a moody teen. I, I had a shoulder injury that was really the result of my own sort of uh, – mistakes in training and not listening to my coaches. And I grew to just despise swimming and competition. And I, I think uh, I was never far from the water. I was a lifeguard through college. I, I, um, I was always sort of near the water. Uh, but uh, my wife and I became involved quite seriously in uh, rock climbing while we were in the U.S. And and I think that was the first step towards coming back to falling in love with the water was this this feeling you get sometimes when you're just out on a long, moderate uh, sort of wilderness climb. And, and, you know, it's humbling. It's peaceful. You're just sort of doing something physical, and, and it's a kind of mental problem mm-hmm. solving a lot of it. But you're doing it in this setting where it, it's just you've got to be responsible. You've got to manage risk responsibly. You've got to manage your team, your your, your friends, your, your, your fellow climbers. Uh, you, and you're doing all that against this this just monumental beauty that's just mm. sort of so much bigger than you. And do you believe that there are people – see, I do. I believe there are people who 
have the psychological makeup to do the kinds of things you're doing and other people that they could just never, it doesn't matter. There are people who can run forever yeah. and there are people who just hate it from the first step and they go, why would I ever do this? It seems there's got to be something yeah. in you that allows you to do this. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I, 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 I think I agree in a sort of broad sense. I, I do think though, and maybe so maybe I push back on this, I, I think a lot of people you know, can find a kind of a bliss, a, a, a reverie, a, a thing that really moves them like that, and that there are different pathways to it. And one of the things we do in, in our swim community with uh, Glow Swimming, with Lost Swimming, uh, with Solo Swims Ontario, and what we do with our, our trust, the, the Great Lakes Trust, a charitable endowment, you know, part of, of, of what we try to do is get people to imagine themselves doing these things in, in these places that are often right next to us. You don't have to drive, you know, four hours in traffic to get yeah. north. It's, there, there's, there's adventures you can have right here. And, uh, I and just can't <laughs> imagine, that there are people that I just, and myself, I include mm -hmm. myself in this. I well, cannot imagine myself running a marathon because I just think I don't, for whatever reason, have that, th whatever it is in me to say, you know, when I'm in yeah. so much pain, Let's just keep going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and maybe it's discipline. I don't yeah. know. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's yeah. pain tolerance. I'm not sure. But there's something unique. Yeah. I do wonder, though. I mean, so here's another way we could think of two kinds of people. I mean, I think there are people who are extraordinarily good at becoming disciplined, like Olympic athletes. You talk to yep. some of our top national athletes and our athletes around here, uh, varsity athletes. That uh, they have a gift and a, a, a talent for focusing and just really buckling down. Um, but I also think that it often doesn't take much for people to suddenly find something that gets them doing things that a year before they'd have thought, no, that'd be stupid. Why would I do that? Yeah. And next yeah. thing you know, they're on like a tandem rowing across the Atlantic just because they remembered that they liked being, you know, in boats when they were a kid. We had a, we uh, had a guy in here whose name is eluding me right now. I'll think mm -hmm. of it probably after we're done. Who's a Hamilton guy who solo rowed across the yeah. Atlantic. And again, I'm like, you're out in the middle for months. Yeah. It was. And I just like, I don't, it, it's, it's a unique yeah. Thing. Yeah, and I guess I, I just I just wonder if a lot of us do have that lurking in there, and it wouldn't actually take that much you know, if you found something. If you found it, I mean, uh, to I next can, thing you know, I can do a Netflix marathon. Well, <laughs> sort of... I don't know if that's exactly the same. Um, it, I mean, do you is the is the reason you do this for the finish line that that euphoria or something when you step back on land is that is that the reward I, it certainly is satisfying when you when you finish um i i don't know that that's, what, what is the reward yeah it's again it's hard to sort of really pin down a specific things because every time you remember the the mechanics of the actual swim you say well it certainly wasn't that because that sucked yeah. it certainly wasn't that because that was really painful um and then afterwards you know you touch and then yeah your mouth is is bloated and you can't enjoy food or any or drinks so it's like it can't be the, the after, salt water yeah it yeah. can't be the after party right? yeah yeah so so is it just that fleeting moment where because uh, that fleeting moment doesn't feel like a triumph often. It's just like, okay, we're done. You know, it's sort of... Uh, no. So is it days after when the satisfaction I think I think it's a, a kind of contentment you feel looking back and remembering just the the adventure. And, um, and yeah, I, I think 
and again, this is just me. I, I but I, I think there there are folks. You know, we share this. I think this this disposition. We're not the competitors, right? We're not out there. It's like I got to win this. I got to conquer. I got to triumph. Uh, it's more the hey. Do you what think? if they did that? Would would that be something that you would want to do? Because right now you had to sign up for the cook yeah yeah you uh, so that it's very organized and controlled and safe. Yeah, yeah. But if they said we're going to have a five person race across yeah, the yeah. cook street. <laughs> yes. Does that entirely change what you're doing and ruin it? Or would that be something you'd go, that actually sounds kind of interesting? Yeah, I don't think it ruins it. And I'd, I would probably, you know, if my friend said, come on, we got to do this, then I would, of course, sign up with them. But uh, yeah, that, it wouldn't be, that wouldn't be the thing where I thought, you know, we got to win this thing, guys. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd Because much... I wonder, you've talked about meditative. I almost wonder if making it into a competition would destroy entirely what you're doing. For me, it would lose what I think draws me to it. Uh, on the other hand, um, some of the great marathon swims began as races. I mean, there were races across the English Channel. That wasn't the first one, but yeah. uh, um, uh, s- s- you know, Toronto, uh, people flocked to Toronto in the 1920s and 1930s, right through to the 50s. It was a world destination for marathon swim races. And even today, the, the, the fastest to overall time swum across Lake Ontario you know, it, it depends what routes you're doing, but uh, it was a 1978 race that involved John Kinsella, the famed uh, American Olympian and, and, and marathon uh-huh. swimmer. And yeah, that was, a, that was a race and there were thousands of dollars. There's a stage. guy from Hamilton. He's deceased now. I was lucky enough to interview him years ago, Claude Saunders. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was a great swimmer. Yeah, I, yeah. I think he might have been an Olympic swimmer. I can't remember anyway, but he used to talk about Hamilton Harbor. They yep. would have swims They'd across have Hamilton swims. Harbor. Yeah. And it's like, well, ugh, I don't know if I want to do that today. <laughs> yes. But, um, you know, it, it, we got to run here. We're, we're yeah. way late. But it it sounds like from what you're describing that, um, was it, who was it? Was it Senator Edmund Hillary who was at, who had that line about why did you oh, climb? Oh, no, it was uh, George it was Mallory. Well, who, why did you climb the mountain? Because yeah. it was there. The ill-fated that, George Mallory. But it yeah. sounds kind of like that's what It has a bit of that, is. right? Although it's worth noting, he was, he was flippant and frustrated when he said that. He just okay. didn't want to answer that question. Apparently that was uh, the, the, some of the historians argue. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely a bit of that. Uh, on the other hand, uh, anything that gets people to have an adventure and to do it, whether it's the competitive urge or whether it is this just weird meditative curiosity, uh, get out there and do it. Do your colleagues at Laurier, your other professors, because, you know, I, I this is not, I don't know why this doesn't sound like a professorial thing <laughs> yes. to do, but do they think you're nuts? Uh, they are extraordinarily supportive. I, I couldn't ask for, for, for more supportive. Anyone and, ever come and swim with you, though? Um in we Lake have, Ontario no, when it's we, two degrees? Not yet. <laughs> but I, I will just, just, we have to head off, I'll say, uh, one of my Laurier colleagues, a dear friend, Christine Neal in the economics department, uh, was on my Cook Strait swim. She was my crew throwing my wow. ball. Uh, and I think whether she, she'd cut short a, a conference in Australia to come over and throw the bottle on our swim and, and to, to commune with the dolphins. <laughs> so, uh, and yes, there were dolphins and uh, it was, it's a great story. Again, go, it, it's in the spec today. You can read it online at the spectator, at the spec.com. Uh, is the Straits of Magellan then the one you described as a horror show? Is that next for you? I, I don't know. That's a, <laughs> that, that's a, that's a, very, very hard swim. It's it's so cold. Um, my friend did it, um, and I, I don't think he ever wants to go back. <laughs> yeah, probably a wise man. Well, yes, a very wise man. Thank you so much. Uh, listen, that is Lauren King. If you uh, if you need some inspiration to uh, do a marathon other than the Netflix marathon, which uh, now I'm feeling like I should probably do. My thumb is very strong. <laughs> I got very strong thumb muscles from all that pressing. Uh, Lauren, thanks for coming in. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Scott. 
The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.